the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A surprising finding about Gen Z and evangelism, and then why it's important to lead with a limp. Can progressive Christians be pro-life? And later, it's Friday. You know what that means. A top five list. You're listening to The Common Good. Into Friday. Happy Friday. Hello. Welcome to the Common Good. You're on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Aubrey, we like to say, as the song says, we work for the weekend. And the weekend is upon us. Now, as pastors, we've got Sunday coming. But... I was about to say, we also work on the weekend. I'm preaching this Sunday. Are you preaching this Sunday? I am, yep. but not before Saturday. Not we go see our sa- daughter. Oh, you do? Yes. Oh, You're headed back. out to see Madeline tomorrow. How's it going for her? She's doing great. We haven't touched base on her in a while. She's doing well. She's doing wonderfully. Yay. Living her best life. But she did admit to missing her family at times, so that made me feel good. And uh, nice. yeah, so nice. it's been... Uh, on Sunday, it will have been three weeks, so it felt like an appropriate time. We decided wow, this okay. this weekend, and we're, I'll literally be in the car more than we'll be there, but yeah. we're going to go up on Saturday, and uh, we decided on this day, like, before she ever left, we're like, how's, let's okay. see, when should we reconnect, because yeah. then she comes home in the early October, so okay. it kind of breaks it up nicely, Fine. and it feels good. She's like, I can't wait to give you a big hug, and uh, we're going to go out to dinner, so Fine. cannot wait to see my girl. And uh, But other than that, it is a normal weekend. Now, if you've missed any of our shows this week, go get the podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. All right, Aubrey. Gen Z, who are, uh, for the sake of this article, defined by those 25 and under. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's a big... 25 I don't and under know. feels like a big generation. Well, I don't know where L under ends. Yeah. Because I don't think they'd say five-year-olds are Gen Z. Right. So I'm not sure. But but for the sake of our argument, think uh, late teens, early 20s. Okay. All right. That's what we're going to go with. Okay. Uh, they found some interesting findings uh, spiritually about them in the latest chapter of the 2022 State of the Bible survey. Oh, okay. okay. A couple different things. Let me give you a couple different things, and you tell me if these are surprising to you and what we can learn from them. Gen Z adults match their elders in a desire to share their faith, and they lead all ages in their openness to spiritual conversations, this report said. More than half, or 54% of Gen Z and the same percentage of people older than them, desired a, uh, expressed a desire to share their faith with others. Hmm. But 58% of Gen Z engaged in individual spiritual conversations with three or more persons in the last year, hey. more than any other age group studied. Wow. So I would say this, uh, a lot of times this kind of age group is seen as... Not excited to talk about spiritual things, not wanting to step on people's toes, not wanting to rock the boat and have these conversations. So when I saw these findings, 
I feel like our perception of Gen Z and other young generations may not actually be reality. Yeah, that's really interesting hearing this. And I'm always curious, like, okay, what, how did they do the study? What were the demographics? But if this is accurate at face value, this is encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if it's Gen Z's ability to... I feel like they're so big on like their own authenticity, even though that's sort of a Gen X buzzword. They're like the Gen Z folks at our church are just more willing to own like, oh, I am who I am. And Mm. and oh, and you are who you are. Oh, yeah, no problem. These two things can coexist at the same time. And so I wonder if part of that is like, yeah, I'm not afraid to talk about my faith with my friends. Why would I be? It's part of who I am, where we I'm speaking of us as Gen Xers have some hang ups. What will people think? What'll. I I don't know. I'm guessing a little bit, but that's interesting to me. This is encouraging. Do you think, though, let's put ourselves in the shoes of those Gen Xers. If it is as you have described, do you think, though, that the having spiritual conversations is much less done to change somebody's mind or to have somebody uh, accept Jesus, if you will. But instead, Mm -hmm. if, if you are right, that it's a lot of, hey, you you do you, I do me. Yeah. Let's have spiritual conversations. But I'm as equally interested in your spirituality as you are mine. And, and the goal might not be to convince or to um, bring to Christ. Yes. What do you think about that? Do you think that might be it? Uh, I feel like I don't know. So it's unfair of me to say. I can't make a guess. But perhaps. I mean, that's certainly a way you could you could think about that. In one sense, though, Brian... Is that, I mean, is there like an interesting thought about that even in our evangelism conversations? Like, uh, at least get the ball rolling and Mm -hmm. talk about spiritual things and talk about your faith and talk about your belief in the Bible is better. This is where we always come back to like, that's still better than me not doing that. A hundred percent. But I don't know. You might be onto something. No, no. I. I, What do you think you're like your daughter? Because she's in that, your oldest daughter is in that like demographic Gen Z. What would she say? about that do you know no i don't but i I do wonder if people like her or her age here's where okay let's take it more conceptually if that really is going on like hey it's not right for me to to try to win you over yeah we'll put it in those terms uh so i'm we're just gonna have spiritual conversations you could go one of two ways with it i i let's see what you think one is hey i'm just leaving it open to the holy spirit to work and to or two Nope, we're called to tell people, if I truly believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if I truly believe nobody comes to the Father except through him, if Mm -hmm. I truly believe, quite frankly, that there is a right way and a wrong way, a Mm -hmm. narrow path and a path, then it is is destructive, it is wrong, it is inconsiderate, if you will, of me not to invite somebody else to follow Jesus and to instead allow them to just go whichever way they are going. Yeah. I think that's where I would land on it, but I wonder if that next generation would disagree with me. I don't know, but this is interesting in this article from church leaders. They say factors that likely influence Gen Z's gospel sharing said are changes in American culture that have made the gospel quote genuinely new to Gen Z. American culture is less overtly Christianized and methods of evangelism have adjusted to include Christian music, films, novels, television, streaming, internet memes. All that to say, maybe they are sharing their faith all the way and inviting people to Christ, you know, and it, because it does feel new, it doesn't, 
feel as hung up with all sort of the other cultural baggage that like, again, I'm talking about our generation might bring to the table. So this is maybe it's maybe we're being more cynical than we need to be. Yeah, yeah. I find this really uh, encouraging. I agree. How would you let's end here? Y- you made the joke, but we say it often. There's truth to it. Uh, people's bad um, efforts are better than our non efforts. Yep. How would you talk somebody off of uh, the sidelines and say, hey, this is part of what, what we do. This is what you're called yeah. to. But also it's it's a privilege. How would you? Sidelines might be the best way to put it. How would you talk them off the sidelines, encourage them off the sidelines? Yeah, I think something that I've been like kind of considering recently in my own non-evangelism is like, am I really, like, how convinced am I that the gospel matters, mm. that Jesus really is a treasure and Lord and good? And I think part of this is like, we need to get to a place or ask the Holy Spirit to move us to a place where we're wowed and moved mm-hmm. by the power of our own salvation. Like, like go back to our first love, right? So I think it has to start there. And then once we have it, I'm not saying we have to understand this perfectly. I'm not saying we have the perfect grasp on it. But I do think like once we're in love with Jesus and we're so grateful for what God is doing in our lives and in the entire world, then talking about Jesus is natural and easy mm. and exciting. And so I think part of it is like, how do any of us get with the Lord and just say, God, would you increase for me a, a passion like for you yes. and, and a gratefulness for the depths of darkness that you've saved me from. And then give me the, the desire to share that with other people in a way that's winsome and relational. Yeah. I, but that would be my second piece is like, it always needs to be winsome and relational. Mm-hmm. Like, Again, you and I still say the guy on the corner sharing the gospel is better than our non-efforts. And I believe that because I think God somehow uses that. I still think if we're talking best practices, that's you in real authentic friendship with people, not to try to make them a project, but really try to love them and talk about your relationship with Jesus. Have you ever preached uh, and used the following line? Be winsome to win some. <laughs> But that's good. Would that be plagiarism if I took that, Ryan? We talked about plagiarism earlier this yeah, week. Right. That would be, right. be winsome to win some. There you Dang. go. There you go. I, I give it to you. That like, I expect wow. to see that in a book okay, at one you. of these days. Thanks. But over Desiring God, uh, the title of the article is this, Better to Have a Burden, written by Scott Hubbard. He says, Jacob, right? Uh, he walked with a limp. David led armies. Later, though, he fled through the wilderness surrounded by enemies. Paul traveled and preached with a thornless side. Later, though, he pr- prayed for mercy that uh, for the thorn to be taken away. Many of us likewise may remember a once when life and ministry felt smoother. Back then, we were more productive, less hindered. Our body didn't trouble us as much. We faced fewer criticisms. Mm. A relationship had not yet ruptured. But we move slower these days. Our backs more bent, limping, surrounded, thorned. How tempting to imagine how fruitful we might be without such burdens. Wouldn't we be better parents, leaders, workers, Christians if we could run faster? But he's going to go on and say... We might be better off hmm. by having those life experiences that have dinged us, hmm. that have hurt us, that have yeah. slowed us down, yep. that have, to use his phrase, burdened yep. us. Uh, let's talk about the concept first. I do look back to my mid-20s in ministry and stuff and go, man, I didn't have a care in the world. I didn't know anything could be hard. I didn't know there were any oh, difficulties man. in ministry oh, and marriage and whatever yes. else it might be. 
oh, that was kind of nice, but oh, how naive we were. Oh, how naive and oh, how we're going to talk about this later on in today's show. Kevin and I met with some uh, friends of ours that are older than us, like by probably 30, 40 years. Oh, they're like 100. Yeah, they're like eight. No, no, no. It's it's probably 20, 30 years older than us, I should say. They're not that much older. But they were like adults when we were young adults leading, yep, you know yep. what I mean? Like they were the parents and and we were like, we're so sorry for things we did or said thinking we knew everything and had literally not been through anything difficult. <laughs> did they we laugh? Didn't. Oh yeah. We all laughed together. It was very enjoyable. But I do think, yes, you're right. Like you can run hard when you're in your twenties and you don't need a lot of sleep and there's a ton of energy. And I think you have a lot of creativity and like excitement and new vision to bring to the table. At the same time, I've always said, like, I just tend to be drawn to ministers of the gospel that have gravitas Mm. because they've been through difficulty and yet stayed faithful. That to me, there's just like no replacement for that. And the reality is ministry does kind of, it can break you a little bit. Like it can um, hurt you a little bit and it, it it can drain you a little bit, but I think if you come to your people and especially before the Lord with the sense of like, man, I cannot do this apart from God's strength and power, that's that's yeah. the kind of leader I want to follow who's operating from that sort of soul place. That's right. That's right. Uh, they go on to quote uh, Charles Spurgeon, who said, it's a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace enough to bear it. Mm. Without grace, burdens break us, but with grace, they bend us towards God. So Mm. uh, the basic point here, and this goes back to our idol worship of comfort. The basic point here is like in our pain, in our struggles, in our uh, burdens, in the limp, all of this, we learn the love and the grace of God to still work through us, to still love us, to still do these things that we can't learn when we're just roaring on all cylinders yeah. because let's be honest when there aren't burdens and limps and pains we go i'm good enough to accomplish all of I this it's all about me in my own strength and talent yeah but we learn so much about god's grace when things are burdensome and difficult mm, it's so true it's something that they say in this article the author says this i think this is so beautiful um with so many burdened states uh men discovered the secret that god gives his best treasures to those who have the most troubles so much of his word was born from trouble. This is God's word was born from trouble written by persecuted prophets, weeping psalmists and imprisoned imprisoned apostles. He says this, the Bible is a book of tears and a book too of the God who wipes them away. So often then troubles open the door to our father's deepest comforts. And again, so many people, I mean, Kevin preached a message on this last Sunday. So many people are asking the question, like, where is love? And do, does anyone love me? And do they see the pain that I'm in? And I think the answer is yes. Like the answer is Jesus. And so again, as a minister of the gospel to have known God's intimacy, God wiping away your tears in the middle of some of the most like depth, dark days of the soul to minister out of that place just brings like an authority, I think to your, to your ministry, a compassion to your ministry and, uh, um, a faithfulness too that like, I think people can draw from. Let me ask you this. We often will, when we do these articles, we'll read the last line Mm -hmm. or last couple lines. I want to know if you agree with this. This is a really hard line that he ends with. Uh Oh, okay. So 
as good as it is to enjoy untroubled days, it is better to have a trouble and to walk with God in the midst of it. Wow. That word better threw me the first time I read it. Because there's not many times, I don't know, it's difficult for me to go, would I ever say it's better to have a trouble than to have untroubled? I like untroubled days. Same. I like carefreeness. Yes. But he ends his article by saying, it's better to have a trouble and know God's grace in the midst of it, walk with God. And why would he say it's better? Because it grows in depth and this and that. Could you, would you ever have written that line? Well, I wouldn't have. I think he's right not to have ended it at it's better to have trouble, period. Because yes. I don't think that's true. Trouble for trouble's sake is, is trouble. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? But it is it better to have trouble and walk with God in the midst of that trouble? And there are gifts in darkness that can only come when you're walking through the valley mm. of the shadow of death. Like you will find God with you in ways you never have before. And that will change you, transform you into Christ likeness in ways that untroubled days just simply can't. They just don't have that ability. So I would wholeheartedly agree with him. It's better to have trouble and walk with God. If he just ended it with trouble, I I think okay. I'd be like, oh, wow, he's a little sadistic. You know, <laughs> trouble with God is is a different conversation. I like the concept of untroubled days, but I do, I do think too, we've Brian. talked about this enough to know that that's oftentimes in the times of trouble in which we know God most deeply. So and is there, I mean, I feel like, is there a life touched by an untroubled day? No. I don't think so. I really don't. And so the question is, how do we find God's goodness? Correct. In Correct. our troubles. And Aubrey, something we've been doing over the past couple months now is I've been finding fun Bible or worship song or whatever quizzes for you. I don't know how you've been doing this, but they are. You are on fire with Google these quizzes. Google is a wonderful I've thing. I've heard of it. I've heard of so it. So in the past, we did Bible verse or Shakespeare. Yes. We did Bible verse or Taylor Swift lyric. Taylor Swift lyric. Lamentations or Taylor Swift That's lyric. Right. That's what yep. it was. Yep. Uh, we did worship song or love song. That was a hard one. So we've done some fun ones. Yep. Today, on this Friday, yes. Aubrey, you are going to be put to the test of Bible verse or Ed Sheeran oh, lyric. Okay. Okay. I'm feeling a little nervous about it, but I'm I'm stretching. I'm getting my game face on, and you, uh, we'll see. Okay. See what happens. Here we go. You just have to decide, is what I read to you a Bible verse or an Ed Sheeran lyric. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Keep watch over your heart. That's where life starts. That's the Bible. That is correct. That's that Bible. That's correct. All that you are is all that I'll ever need. Ed. Yeah, I know that's Old song. Eddie. Yeah. That is correct. Yes. 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 You are like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice. Oh, I'm going to go Bible. You are correct. Yes. Oh, man. See, you know that you, you're you getting much better at these. I feel like I'm, well, I don't know. I don't want to get arrogant. Pride comes before the fall. That's Bible, not cheering. So I got to be careful. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Your love is better than wine. Bible. That's definitely an Ed Sheeran lyric, but is I'm t- clicking Bible. Oh, that's the Bible? Yeah. I thought I literally thought I could picture the song that that was coming I think from. That's got it. There probably are songs that say that, but I feel like that's a song of Solomon line. No, I actually there. thought that was a song yeah. that I heard recently on the radio. I'm sure. I'm sure it's also in pop music. Loving can mend your soul, and it's the only thing I know. Ed, that's Ed Sheeran right there. It rhymed. There was one earlier. <laughs> I thought they were going to get you with a rhyme that was Bible. Yes, that is an Ed Sheeran lyric. Okay. 
I'll keep carrying you when you're old. I'll be there bearing you when you're old and gray. That's Ed. I love that song. I do like that song, That's such a good song. No, that was the Bible. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Oh, I thought that was that one about like. Yeah, where they get older together. Yes, I love that song. They're still dancing. That, that's that's the false. The exact no, no, I think they're wrong in the quiz. I think they're right. I think they thought that. I thought they thought oh, they were going to get us. They were tricking us. us. Oh, I love when you're old and gray. I, I can't remember how it goes. So probably we. Unfortunately, both made that they're song not up. giving us the answer. Oh, so like, we don't know like what it's. They're from. not giving us the citation. Like the. I feel like they made that one up. No? That is that is not accurate. But okay. Okay, couple more. Here okay, we go. Here we go. Every day that Satan tempts me, I try to take it in my stride. Uh, I feel like that's a tricky one, so I'm going to go Ed Sheeran. I think this is an Ed Sheeran there. That is correct. Yeah, like they were trying to they were trying to trick us there. That is an Ed Sheeran lyric. Uh, simply this one: "You are my one and only." Ed Sheeran, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm going to guess. That's my guess. That is Ed Sheeran. Okay, phew. All right, last one. Ooh. I am well aware of certain things that will destroy a man like me. Sharon. That's Bible. Okay. You, you say Bible, I say Sharon. Let's see. This is our tiebreaker. Yeah. I am well aware of certain things that will destroy a man like me. You said Ed Sheeran? Mm-hmm. Ed Sheeran. Yes! So yes. You, so was, we don't know. What's the old and gray one? I feel like I, I have to look. I'm going I'm to see. This is what this is typical Aubrey here, because here you go. You got eight of the nine. Correct. <laughs> and all that you can think about is the one that you got wrong. No, we should let us psychoanalyze. Yes. No, you I here. was going to say this is actually the story of my life. So can I tell something to the people? Everyone's going to hate me for this. Everyone's going to think I'm so annoying. But this is true about me. I'm taking an Old Testament class right now, a post-grad class. And I got an assignment back, Brian, and I got a 93.3, which is an A. I'm furious about it. Like, that is Are a you 97. That is a 97 paper at best. And I, this is what's wrong with my soul. I have so much, uh, like, an achiever in me that it is killing me with that Ed Sheeran thing that I, I mean, I'll be fine. It's Ed Sheeran. But, like, I do, all I can think about is the thing I didn't get, not the thing I did get. I'm a... Does that make me a pessimist? No, I Could think you it makes you. Me right I now? think it makes you a perfectionist. Yeah, you got to pastor me. Which might be more of a problem. Okay, okay. Keep where keep do you think that comes from? <laughs> when in your life have you? We're going to sit like, you on the yeah, couch here. We're going like, to have we're going to have some therapist asks. When in your life have you felt the need to be a perfectionist before? Uh, By the way, Isaiah chapter forty six, verse four. Read it. I'll be there. Well, let's let's look it up in the Bible itself. I'll be there, bearing you when you're old and gray. Okay, I've done it, and will keep on doing it, carrying you on my back, saving oh, you. That's so beautiful, man. That sounds like okay. an Ed Sheeran lyric. <laughs> okay, this is the song though. Thinking out loud, uh, Ed Sheeran. Oh, maybe this is where we did mix it up. He says. Honey, your soul can never grow old. It's evergreen. Oh, evergreen. Maybe yes. that. Maybe that's what we're thinking about. That's how. But no. But he says. Oh, he says when my hair is all gone and my memory fades. So he doesn't say old and gray. Everyone's singing it right now. They're having. They're yeah. able to do it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Wet. Yeah. Help me with my perfectionist. So when have you always been that way? No, I have not. When always do you been remember starting? Uh, to be a perfectionist. I feel like it's honestly been in the last few years. I'm actually not. Like, if you walked in my home, you would be like, she's not a perfectionist. Like, but you're perfectionist about things that people are judging. That's 
it. That is 100% it. And so if I you want were, people to like like me. I want to be above the fray. If, I if you be... started to take a class or something that was about having a house that was in order yes. and they were going to come grade your home, oh. it would be like white glove clean. Yeah. No, you're but probably right. You're probably right. In your day-to-day life, yeah. you don't actually care if your house is clean. Yeah. No, I I mean, I, I want a tidy house, but it's not a perfect house. Like if you, if you knew the way I like hid things in drawers, you'd be like, oh, wow. But yeah, it is. It's appearance. So it's like I want... It's what I want people to think of me. I think that's ultimately. Oh. Wow, we've gotten to a dark, hard place right now. No, no, here. no. This is. Let's keep unpacking this. Is the this. We got some time. <laughs> let's keep unpacking this. Um, you know what? There is a lie in my head, though. I've been realizing this in grad school. There is a lie in my head that I'm dumb. I think I've told myself for years and years and years mm. that I'm dumb. I'm not smart enough. I don't have anything to bring to the table, thought wise. And so that's part of the grade stuff. Is I'm like. I will not be dumb. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yes. What's up with me? Help me. Pastor me. Preach so to me. Perfectionism. Yes. Uh, it is trying to fill a void that is currently not being met. Oh. So there are two choices to this void. Okay. Uh, it's your father or your husband. <laughs> <laughs> I know the answer, but I'm not going to say it out loud. <laughs> I just wanted to set you up right there. Oh, man. That's brutal. Okay. I do think a lot of wow. us struggle with perfectionism. Yeah. There is no doubt about There's it. There's probably a Bible verse or an Ed Sheeran song There's to help. Ed Sheeran you think? <laughs> I'm going to go listen to some it's, music and Bible and see what one happens. Of the, one of the two. Uh, it's one of the two. All right. Aubrey did splendidly, apparently not well enough not for her enough. own soul. <laughs> But got eight out of nine in Pretty Bible good. or Ed Sheeran Pretty lyric. Good. The end of the quiz said you're either a theologian or Ed Sheeran himself. Hey! <laughs> so there you go. I like it. Brian, you got any big weekend? Oh, you do have big weekend plans. Go to see my daughter. Go in to see your daughter. Couldn't be bigger. I'm yeah. super excited that's, to see my that's girl. That's very, very exciting. She's Aww. at Hope College. If, any, if anyone hasn't been listening, she just left for college three weeks ago. Aww. And, uh... And mom and dad and brother and sister need some need, uh, need some Madeline time. That's, That's gonna right, be so and uh, fun. vice versa. Is that makes me feel good too? She's not like fine. She's come not, on, she, she is. Wants to oh, see you guys. she is so excited is, to see us as well. This is the big question: Is she sending you back with laundry to do for her to bring back next time you return? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, but she is. By the way, laundry is so different now. It's in their dorm, oh. and you like have an app. So it's no longer like coins. Quarters. Remember when you have to get quarters? Yes. It's an app that you fill. And, you know, you just scan it and it comes out and that's how you pay for your stuff. I was thinking about myself as a freshman in college and how disgustingly dirty my clothes were. Like, I waited until the last minute. I wore things inside out. I did whatever I could to not have to do laundry. And part of it was like... How do you access quarters as a college freshman in the 90s? Aubrey, can I really, now I'm going to be vulnerable here. Yeah, please. My freshman year of college, mm-hmm. when I when my parents dropped me off, mm-hmm. I don't have a real good memory of this, but I'm sure my mom probably put the sheets onto my bed. <laughs> Maybe I did, but I'm guessing my mom did when we were setting up our room. Okay, okay. The next time those sheets came off my bed. no. Were when I packed no, my bag for no. Christmas break. Oh, gosh. Came back, put my sheets on the bed. They were now clean. The next time those sheets came off the bed was summer break. Wow. If I told you that there was an outline of dirt, yeah, I would not be lying. 
Yeah, that's. I was that's a disgusting gross, college but I kid. I just said I was too. So like this. But makes now me, you don't feel like you were yeah, as much. Yeah, you you were definitely dirtier than me. You mm-hmm. know what this is? We will talk about something serious in a minute, but I want to keep on this conversation for a second. This is reminding me. Do you know what kind of sheets I had as a freshman? Silk sheets. No, you will flannel ne- sheets. You will never guess the kind of sheets I had as a freshman. Uh, I don't mean. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You're close. You were like in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, keep going. You're the right category. You are the right category. I don't know many more than that. Batman. Did you really? Why in the world as a college freshman Robin as girl, well or no? It was a uh, Batman sheets and I had a comforter that was Batman and Robin. <laughs> you thought you <laughs> were at home. Mark? You were going, you know what's going to really get them talking at Wheaton? <laughs> You know what's really going to set me apart from all those other you freshmen? I, mean? I, I probably was literally thinking, this will be so cool. I'll have, yep. I'll have that Batman only, and, and that, Robin. That then only sent you down like the pathway of pink hair and piercing I mean, and all this stuff. It I all was. went back. Yes, that but, is who I was at Wheaton. You know, I know that. But, no, yeah. I know that, but you didn't go to Wheaton like that. No, I... I yeah, you're right. I didn't go to Wheaton. Well, I did. I, that was most of my high school. Wheaton ruined So I you. did go to Wheaton like that. I okay. actually came to Wheaton with very short hair and it was colored. And then my Batman. <laughs> wow. Wow. I have, I'm having I'm having like an existential crisis about young you freshman should. Aubrey. You should. I probably should have given you my sheets to take home to wash and like you didn't bring them back. And that would have been better for me. <laughs> All right. We'll move on from this. Wow. Remin- reminiscing is happening here on The Common Good. All right, Brian, let's get serious just a minute. Uh, I I was over at Christianity Today. It was a really fascinating article about five reasons for progressive Christians to join the pro-life cause. Mm. And here's why this conversation is even, I think, a topic. Because, you know, I, I guess to categorize progressive Christians is maybe unfair because I think they don't necessarily want to be categorized, but I would say followers of Jesus who maybe are a little more liberal in their theology, in their social, um, in their politics, politics, usually. Yeah. And so sometimes what that can mean is progressive Christians would not land on a pro-life stance because that would feel more conservative politically. But what Daniel Williams at Christianity today is saying that he says our historic Global faith tradition connects sanctity of life with social justice. Mm. And I think this is so fascinating. He talks about how Ron Sider, who um, rich Christians in an age of hunger, he was more of a left leaning advocate. He spoke out like, oh gosh, people called him a socialist, a communist, and everything. He just, yeah. He spoke out openly against abortion. For him, it was an issue of social justice. And what this article is essentially saying is that we've sort of lost that in our conversation. So he gives five reasons why progressive Christians can and should join the pro-life cause. And I think this is so, so helpful, Brian. Mm. He says the first thing is this. Concern for the unborn unites us with a 2,000-year Christian tradition of viewing human life as a unique creation of God. Mm. He says both abortion and infanticide were common in the ancient Roman world, but opposition to these practices distinguish ancient Christians from their pagan neighbors. Mm. Uh, The pro-life cause unites evangelicals with historic Christian teaching and the largest branches of Christianity throughout the whole world. The assertion that our assertion that our lives ultimately belong to God, not to the state, not to the community and not even to our parents is radically liberating a Christian declaration that applies even to the preborn. Mm. This I think is so interesting because even in the Old Testament class I'm taking right now, we're we're learning a lot about the sacrificial system. 
And the Hebrew sacrificial system was the only one in its day that did not allow for human or child sacrifice. And so I think even beyond 2000 years ago, we're talking ancient, ancient world, like ancient Mesopotamia, the followers of God were pro-life in in the way they would have understood being pro-life, yeah. you know, back yeah. in that system. Yeah. So I think that it's so helpful to remember that being pro-life is not a political conversation, but a biblical one, a theological one. Yeah, yeah. The second thing they say is this concern for the unborn is a counter-cultural witness against a contemporary Western society that Hmm. devalues children. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Like we're seeing this in schools. We're seeing this in communities that it seems like children are not allowed to be children. Children are over-sexualized. Children are pressured in ways that are absolutely uh, horrific. And, um, what there's what this article is saying is that we believe the church has a moral duty to value children and affirm the fact that they're wanted. A baby is mm. not merely a choice, but instead a divine image bearer, a creation of God with an eternal future. Um, apparently there's, I, I didn't realize this, that there's a early pro choice slogan that said every child wanted a child with hmm. the affirmation that every child is already a wanted child in God's sight. So I've never heard that pro-choice yep, slogan, yep. every child wanted a child. I'm not exactly sure. Right, I, right. I'm not exactly sure how to un- interpret that. But the point is that in a world that devalues Christian or treats children as afterthoughts, it's sort of a like a prophetic witness against that yeah. to be pro-life. I think what's fascinating about this, these five in general is – uh, oh, you and I say this often. Abortion has turned into a political issue. Yeah. Uh, and we want to continue to frame it as a theological religious issue, yeah. as a Christian issue. And when you asked the question earlier, can pro-life Christians be – no, can can progressive Christians be pro-life? I want to stand up and be like, absolutely. But I think the reverse of that isn't always true. Can pro-life Christians see themselves as mm. uh, can progressive Christians see themselves as pro-life? Interesting, because pro-life has been um, kind of it's it's kind of been stuck to conservative Republicans yeah. and this and that. We want to say no. The issues of life for the unborn, for the unwanted, for um, the least and the lost. This is a uniquely Christian issue, yeah. not a uniquely political issue. Yeah, I, I think that is. That is one of the most important things that you and I keep trying to say in this conversation. It is. It's a uniquely Christian theological issue. And if we can remove it from the yucky politics around it, I think we find that wherever you stand, whether you're progressive, conservative, somewhere in between moderate, you can, as a Christian, get behind a pro-life stance in a way that's like meaningful mm-hmm. and, and worthwhile and is uh, historically faithful to Christianity. That's right. All right, Brian, this Sunday, what you preaching on? So we're starting the fall with some um, who are we as a church? Why do we do what we do? So we've been talking through our mission statement and trying to circle back to, you know, we can get lost in just the, uh, you just come to church, you don't come to church, another Sunday, and you can get lost in that as a pastor, right? Like just another Sunday's coming, got to yep. preach something. So yep. I do like to pause at the beginning of the of the ministry year and kind of talk values and mission. Why do we do what we do and use it as an encouragement to people like, 
get involved, plug in, be a part of this. This whole church thing is not our idea. It's God's idea. Yep. That kind of stuff. So yep. that's good. That's funny. That must be like a, um, a church calendar or like church pastor. thing. Because so. we're doing that right now. We're yes. going through like a, who are we kind of the, you know, culture of renewal church. So that's actually part of why I'm preaching on generosity, because we have four G's, gospel, generosity, growth, and good neighboring. And I happened to hit the generosity G this Sunday. And um, I saw at Church Leaders an article by Brian Todd about the top 10 characteristics of generous churches. But here's what he said. He couches it in this data. It's really interesting. He says, if we were able to have our people increase their giving from 2.5% to 10% of their annual income, he says most people actually tithe 2.5% of their Mm -hmm. income. If we were able to get them to increase from 2.5% to 10%, an additional $165 billion, he says, would flow into the kingdom. And then he unpacks how those resources could make a difference. $25 $25 billion would relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion would eliminate literacy in five years. $15 billion would solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 per day. $1 billion would fully fund the Great Commission. 100 to $110 billion would still be left over for an additional ministry expansion. Now, I don't know where he has that data. It'll be interesting to unpack that. But he says that based on that data, um, we can find what generous churches look like. And he has 10 uh, descriptions of generous churches. Mm. And the first is this, righteous regret. He says, the pastor and senior leadership must be broken about the condition of those around them and have a vision of what financial resources could do to bring aid Mm. to the hurting and suffering. This begins with senior pastors as the platform pulpit drives ministry initiatives. I think this is a powerful one because a lot of times when we're talking specifically about financial generosity, like when I preach about generosity, I try not to just talk about money. Yeah. But when you're talking about money, um, are you giving a compelling reason for people to part with their money, mm, to give money? Is right. Or is it just got to keep the lights on? Someone's got to pay my paycheck, which are important things. Can we set vision of like, hey, we're doing this for our community and we need to step up? I know in our church, every time that we've said like, hey, we're trying to do this for this cause or yeah. this church or this uh, thing in our community, our people always overgive. Mm. But if it's just, hey, we, you know, hey, guys, we're behind budget. We might catch up. We yeah. might not, yeah. but it's it's rarely compelling. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like, give people a compelling vision for why. The second thing is ethos. He says, most churches have a vision statement that includes honoring God, reaching people for Christ, or serving others. However, if I visit a church three consecutive weekends, I know what your church actually celebrates. Church leaders, if I came to your church three weekends in a row, would I say that you celebrated generosity? That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Like even for us, okay, we we do a sermon on generosity several times a year, but mm-hmm. three weeks in a row, no. Uh, three, defiant. He says a generous church is non-apologetic about asking for resources. They understand that ministry costs money, and the more you have, the more impact you can make. What do you think about that one? That's a little controversial. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um... It it works. It does. And work. I do think if we truly believe 
that the Bible teaches generosity. What I don't like is when the generosity message is all done in order to get you to give to the church. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate generosity messages that say, hey, I don't care where you give your money. Mm -hmm. I care that you give your money. Mm -hmm. Generosity leads to contentment. All Mm -hmm. of this is tied together in the Bible. And to be honest with you, as pastors, I think we can be confident in that message. If all you need to do is get your budget up. Yeah. It's the old rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. Like if people generally are giving, they're going to give more to your church as well. Right. I think when that's the goal, I don't think that's compelling or goes well. But yeah, I mean, being non-apologetic, I wouldn't say necessarily in asking for resources. I would be non-apologetic in what the Bible says about money. That's good. And I'd be non-apologetic about generosity and contentment and the promises that the Bible makes. It's not burden. It's opportunity. And why is that the case? you should come preach at our church on Sunday. I feel like you got a good generosity. Busy, Busy on okay, Sunday. You got plans. All right. Number four, uh, namely, poverty preaching centric. preaching in my church. Oh, man. <laughs> pull it swap sometime. Poverty centric. A generous church is focused on the under-resourced, hurting, orphaned, poor, and those in need rather than ministry maintenance. They care deeply about improving human life. What I think we were just talking about. Just yep. Said. Yep. Five, crusade. A generous church is on a quest to serve those around them. It is unacceptable that probably 10% of your city lives below the poverty line or children go to bed cold and hungry for families to lose their homes. I think that's all in that same vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, six, partnerships. A generous church works with other groups such as Samaritan's Purse, World Vision, Convoy of Hope. By working together, you multiply your impact. Seven, a generous church knows that how you ask people to give and serve makes a big difference in their level of engagement. Uh, eight, clear instruction on how to give, what to give to. Mm. I think that's a really good one. Uh, nine, this is connected, easy, accessibility. All churches, he says, should have automatic draft online giving kiosks in their lobby. Mm. Churches are one of the few places left where people still write checks, but that is diminishing greatly. Mm-hmm. And then 10, corporate commitment. Generous churches know that everyone, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, can and do make a difference each is engaged, cultivated, and enlisted in a matter, manner God has equipped them to behave. Okay, so those are some practical, like how as church leaders, yeah, how do you talk about how it? do you talk about church? But what do you think, Brian? Is like what's the goal beside behind generosity? Uh, I think the goal is actually for people to become generous. Like I think yeah. it's a discipleship issue. It, I don't believe it to be a money issue. Mm. I believe it to be a discipleship That's issue good. because for some people giving 3% is a lot harder than that other person's giving 15%. Right, right. Like I don't think the percentage just kind of breeds pride and I don't think it's about the percentage. I think it's about the attitude. It's about the posture. And I think where we get wrong as pastors is we often talk about generosity like it is eating your vegetables or taking mm. or taking your medicine or whatever. When mm. in reality, the Bible speaks of generosity as a doorway, as yeah. an open door to yeah. something better. Mm. And we don't believe that. But if we did really yeah. believe that, then you're going to have lifelong generous people and you'll be a lifelong. You know, yeah. I think we really have to ask, do we believe that, oh, that it's that's an opportunity and a doorway? Then you look for places to be generous. And, and mm. all too often the message is, hey, God told you to give. So you better, you do, better it. do it. And there is something I think to obey for obedience yeah. sake is like. That's good. And sometimes the heart follows, especially the heart follows where your money's going. So there's something to like, yeah, you should also just give because God called you to. But the point underneath that is not legalistic giving. 
the point is what Brian's saying, that God will open up your heart and the doors to something greater because where our money is, is where our heart is. And it is a discipleship issue. I love that. That's so good. Discipleship issue, not necessarily a money issue. Have fun preaching. Yeah, well, I got my sermon done already, so thank you. you. (laughs) I'll have to to quote you, Brian, make sure I'm not plagiarizing. Brian Fromm gave me this sermon from our show. It's Friday, so we get to do our favorite thing to do each and every week. That is a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. And today... We are going to do with the weather changing and it's moving officially into mid-September, our favorite things about the fall. Brian, I love this category. I'm Mm -hmm. very excited about it. Dying to know what's on your list. I feel like yours are going to be very sports related or at least one. Not really. Oh, not really. Okay. All right. Do you want to start or should I kick us off? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, For number five, I just went with, see if this makes sense. Crisp, cooler weather. Yeah, no, that's great. I yep. like it. Yep. You go out in the morning, take the dog out. You can see your breath. I like that too. Uh, your your house is a little cooler, so yeah. you got to put a blanket on when maybe you're laying around. Mm-hmm. Not a, it's not all just pumping air conditioning nice. all the time. That there is you go. Nice. Yep. Okay, that's really good. Mine is adjacent to that. My number five. I didn't put the crisp, cooler weather, although I do like that. Um, but I'm going to call this a general category of fall fashions. I like because it's colder, you get to bring out the cute coats, the cute boots, the cute sweaters. I'm sure that's really important to you, too. That's probably number one <laughs> on your list. But fall fashions. Fall fashion. It's going to be mine. Okay. Uh, number four for me. And again, this is not something necessarily specific. I would prefer, I love the summer schedule, mm-hmm. but by the end of the summer, I very much appreciate the normal uh, the normal schedule yeah. of the fall. That's true. So uh, well, you and I have talked often about kids going back to school and yep. therefore mm-hmm. uh, I, I, now you could get work. You just have more normalcy. You've got more schedule. And I do appreciate that by the time summer's done. I always like the summer craziness, but... Give me, give me some normal schedule eventually. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a, that's a really good one. The, the regular schedule. Okay, my number four is not connected to a schedule at all. Uh, it's just straight up apple cider donuts. Apple cider donuts as opposed to apple cider itself. Yeah, I don't really like apple cider itself. It makes my stomach hurt. But those apple cider donuts, like when you go to the pumpkin patch and you heat them up or they're already hot, those are the greatest invention of all time. That's not bad. Do you yeah. really still call it the pumpkin patch? Like, yeah. Yeah. What do you call it? Like, are you talking about like one of those like pumpkin farms where you all like yeah. you just go get pumpkins? Yeah. I'd probably call it a pumpkin farm <laughs> or like the place where they're overcharging me for pumpkins. Yeah. They are overcharging you for pumpkins. Call it it's Jewel. A pumpkin patch. <laughs> Aldi. <laughs> this, the box that has all the pumpkins in it at the grocery store. Number three. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. But I will choose, this will be my food-related one, I choose chili. Yeah, good call. And you also know me well enough to know that it is primarily the chili that they bring back to Panera. They have good chili at Panera. I love it. Yeah, that's actually going to be on my honorable mention list. I like like Panera's chili, and I'll just go ahead and say this. And just like fall soups. There's something about just like vegetable stews and like potato soup that you typically have in the fall that's so delicious. There you go. All right, my number three. Similar to fall fashions, this is fall home decor. I love decorating my house for the fall. You always kind of roll your eye at that, right? I mean, 
What are you decorating? Are you doing a Halloween? No, no, no. More, more like leaves and like cute little pumpkins and little like signs and trucks and candles. And I guess it's kind of a combo Halloween. And it's not scary. It's more like cutesy. Okay. Are they it's real? like Target. Like are you, you bringing real? Target, are you bringing real house. leaves in the house? No, 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 never. These real are leaves fake in leaves. The house. Yeah, we got too many scented allergies. candles. Oh, definitely. I got. I have a salted butterscotch fall candle that would blow your mind. What makes a fall candle? Like, I would are we say talking more like, like cinnamon? Yes, apple cider, pumpkin. cinnamon. Yeah, kind of like a caramel salted. Whereas like summer situation. is more like cut grass. Yes, ocean, cotton, ocean. <laughs> Okay. I like this conversation. Okay. okay. Fall decor. That's my number three. Number two, you did not expect me to go fashion, Aubrey. <gasps> but you know this about me. Yep. And it is, in fact, a running joke about me in various, with just about everybody I know. Mm-hmm. I have a um, over-the-top love for the hooded sweatshirt. That's true. You do. That's basically your, your fashion staple. If I was going to be you for Halloween, I would wear a New York Mets hoodie. Hooded sweatshirt yeah. of some sort. So... In the in the summertime, it's very difficult to find the right time to wear a hooded sweatshirt. That's true. The only time I really get to is in our subarctic, uh, <laughs> our freezing studio, studio here, here at AM 1160. But uh, now, when fall comes, mm-hmm. it opens the doorway wow. to all of my hooded sweatshirts that have been saying, "Wear me, <laughs> wear me." I've come back to me. Yeah, and Brian's whole wardrobe is about to come Boy, out. You want to know exciting. what happens? You probably know this. There's probably stuff in your life with this. You already have too many hooded sweatshirts. Yeah, right. But then when people know that you love hooded sweatshirts, hooded what do they buy you for your birthday? What do they buy it's you true. for Christmas? It's true. And it becomes a multiplying problem. Yeah, that is kind of a that is kind of a problem. How do you choose? You're going to have to wear a new sweatshirt every day. No, I've got some favorites. Uh, so I have started to like in the sweatshirt category crew neck sweatshirts because the hood starts to feel bulky to me. Does that you're like, no, no. absolutely not. No, there's no place for that in your life. No. OK. <laughs> All right. Uh, number two, I'm going to go with solid. I said home decor for uh, number three. I'm just going to go like the outside in fall. And I don't just mean the weather. That's part of it. But when we get to see the leaves change and how and, you know, people are having uh, like fire pits like that is so beautiful. The smells outside are nice. The The leaves look so pretty. So what would you call that atmosphere? The fall atmosphere outside. You're essentially fall aesthetic. You're essentially. A uh, a walking Hobby Lobby. That is accurate. That might be the most accurate statement you've ever made about me in our almost two years together. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And I take that as a high compliment, okay. Brian. Uh, before I give you number one, mm-hmm. and we do honorable mentions, yep. uh, do you ever refer to the fall season as autumn? I love the term autumn, and I like the term autumnal, but autumnal. no, I never do. Like only when I'm being they really artsy. Yeah, it's a, it is a little pretentious. What's I do your, have a friend like, that's like you, the autumn is here now. Yeah, but see, oh, even yeah. the way even the way you did your friend's voice there. Yeah, that was pretentious. Like you would yeah. be like, I love the fall. No, you'd be like, I love fall. Right. But I do love the autumn. <laughs> like it's just. I do feel like autumn's nice. Should we bring back autumn? It's nope. a good word. No, we just called it pretentious. Yeah, but should we be pretentious? Is what I'm asking. No, no. Pret- there's there's Ed Sheeran lyrics and Bible verses against that. <laughs> okay. And right. so, all right. Uh, honorable mention. I only wrote down one. Okay. Halloween. I put Halloween on mine too. Yeah. Do you know, your, are you guys going to do like a family costume or anything this year? No. No. <laughs> no. Are we going to do a family you, costume? Why do you like Halloween then? Be, not for my, like, my own costumes. Like, I like 
When the kids were little, I like going out with them. I like oh, stealing yeah, their candy, the so dad fun. tax. I yep. like sitting in and the dad tax. and giving out candy. Yeah. Like, I like, But many less kids now. I know. It's kind of sad, isn't it? I, I think I've decided to be you for Halloween. This whole conversation awesome. has made me decide I, to be Brian from Halloween. I also, Halloween didn't make my list because it is certainly, if we were doing a top five holidays, Halloween would not be on it. Yeah. So I yeah. like Halloween, but I'm not like... Ooh, Halloween. I agree with you. Like, I agree so it's not you. there. All right. Did you have other okay. honorable mentions? I mean, I already mentioned the chili uh, at Panera and just like soup in general. I don't think this might be controversial for the fall because it's more of a winter thing. But I will say starting with Christmas. the colder weather, <laughs> <laughs> our Christmas tree does go up in the fall. Starting with the Christmas. I mean, starting with the fall season, though, I like to pull out my hot chocolate. And drink I do hot like hot chocolate. chocolate. Oh, it's so fair. It's fair. It, it, it's a little on on the edge there, but okay. All right, number one. Brum. Well, this one's going to be obvious. Is it football? Oh yeah, football. Football. It yeah. just happened this past week yep. where the NFL kicked off. Yep. Bears won. Uh, so did the Giants, yep. and it is football. Yeah. Football. 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 Now yep. my son is playing high school football, so, so it's a whole nother so realm. Uh, all things football. When football starts, you go, "Oh, I've missed football." Yeah. Yeah, baseball does that for me too, but I know I'm a little different. Most people aren't like that. I think culturally, people are we excited go, and ready for football. Oh, I want football. Yeah, that's so, true. That's go. true. Okay, so this would be, a, this is like my version of football. I just like the fall lineup of TVs, uh, TV mm. shows, and movies. Especially, especially, I'm really excited about uh, Disney Plus this year. Uh, that's always exciting for me in the fall. Like, what new things are going to come out? I love going to the movies in the fall. I love watching new shows okay. in the fall. So that's that's sort of that's my fair. football. Yep. All right. Well, let us know your favorite fall things on our social media at Common Good Talk. And at the end of every show, we always want to leave you with something inspiring or challenging or something to put a smile on your face. You're headed into the weekend, and so we want to bring you something meaningful today. Um, and Brian, I thought we just kind of talk about a conversation that Kevin and I had last weekend. We went to lunch with a couple that they were, um, they've been missionaries for 25 years with an organization you've probably heard of, Josiah Venture. Yeah. They're very impactful in Eastern Europe. They lived yeah. in uh, Czech Republic. They lived in Poland. They're back and forth. They're Canadian and American citizens, but they travel to Eastern Europe. And they're, I guess as they're in their 60s, uh, maybe late 60s they've they're now in the stage where you know their kids are having kids so their grandparents but just sitting across from them they were some of our like mentors in marriage years ago we know each other from when they've been on furlough or been uh stationed in the states uh we've had some like church experiences together faithful faithful people like in ministry for a long time and they're still in ministry they're moving to the states now to do some things stateside but just still passionate about god and the next generation and the gospel and it was so encouraging to be around them Brian, okay. like in their season of life but some of the things that they were talking about one they were really um kind of kind of lamenting that they feel like a lot of christians especially in the west have stopped paying attention to what's happening in ukraine Mm. They were talking about yeah. how many, how many friends, um, how many friends they've lost, how many have had to be displaced, how many are still there. Interesting. And um, some that they haven't, you know, heard heard from in a while. And, um, but they're also simultaneously sharing stories of how they, uh, Josiah Venture has still been able to run camps and like really minister the gospel to displaced people mm. uh, it, because they've still been able to do their ministry in Europe. And 
Um, so that was an interesting thing. They were kind of calling us to remember Ukraine and continue to pray for Ukraine. But then they also talked about how now they're in a season of life where it's like all of their experience, all of their education, all of their leadership has kind of come into a season of what they called convergence. Okay. And so they're at a place now where they're, as a couple, pouring into like the next generation of leaders and really feeling like they're living out their passion now. Like mm. they're, and, you know, meanwhile, getting to love their kids and their grandkids by being close to them. And uh, that was interesting and inspiring to me, too. But here's where I went ahead. Here's one of the things that they said. They said that they've just done a bunch of research um, surveying youth pastors from all over our country. From the U.S.? Yes. Okay. And um, one of the things that they were looking for in their research was what are things that our youth pastors today are struggling with? Mm -hmm. And so how can they come alongside youth pastors to help equip and empower them in ministry? And the biggest data across the board for youth pastors, this won't totally surprise you, Brian, but it was interesting, was anxiety, depression, and burnout. Hmm. And so they said it almost made them reorient what they want to do because they were thinking about more like training in youth ministry. But now they're realizing they actually need to minister to the heart and the soul of youth pastors. Hmm. And I felt like that was such an interesting set of data because I think that's not just true of youth pastors, but after the past couple of years, pastors on every, yes. in every sphere. And I think you're right about that. I think what I find surprising about that is it shows the changing landscape of ministry yeah, right that's now, true. because I was a youth pastor for six years. I never felt the same things never. that what they're describing never. there. But I also know that even that 15 years ago, 20 years ago, students were very different. Yep. Um, and so that does surprise me to hear, and it doesn't surprise. It's a little bit of both. Like it, it goes, oh wow, okay. Um, but I think your friends are right there. That that across the board, what we need to be doing in ministry right now is saying, how do we build into the health of the minister, if yeah. you will, the pastor, yeah. the youth director, whatever, um, for longevity's sake, just for health's sake, so that they can then be ministers of. Um, of health to the students yeah. or to other people. So it's interesting. It really is. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. And it, it made me wonder, like, not just for those on staff, too, but if generally that's the data that um, young pastors are expressing that they're wrestling with these things, is that also true of the majority of our church? Hmm. And do we as pastors need to be, and pastors are not therapists, and I think we need to be careful about that, but like, is there a place now that we're kind of in a different season of pandemic life, but people are still processing, processing anxiety, depression, et cetera. Is there a place for, I don't know, like the health and wellness of our people. There always should be, but like, is there a particular call for pastors to be focusing on that? Or is it just, is this strictly uh, like pastor problem right now? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think that, it's a pastor but, problem yeah. because we know a couple of different things you and I have read before. Uh, it is, this is something that the students are dealing with right now, right? Yeah. Mental health issues are off the charts. Suicide rate is up. Depression, anxiety, all of it is up. We know that's the case for adults right now. Uh, mental health, all of this kind of coming out of COVID and just the world that we live in right now. People out there who are listening to us right now are dealing with problems. And I think 
you you hopefully it brings you some comfort to know that you're not alone in that. Yeah. Uh, But no, I don't think it's at all just pastors. I don't think it's at all just youth pastors. I think it's students. I Mm -hmm. think it's uh, adults. I think it's people in the business world. I think it's teachers. We hear about teachers quitting all over the place. That's true. I think it's blue collar workers. I think it's parents. I think it's everybody. I think we're at a very high stressed, high anxiety culture at the moment. And the real difficult question is what, changes that yeah how do we move in a new direction i don't know if it's possible apart from the miracle of god yeah i mean that's you know it i think you're right like that that sort of hits the nail on the head but maybe like as i'm thinking about this couple that we are with faithful missionaries faithful followers of god for so long like maybe it is that generation beginning to recognize that you know um not that they're not carrying it too but are they in a place with a little more wisdom and a little more life experience where they can begin pouring into all of us who are sort of right. learning younger and like help us see things a different way, probably just valuing, I think, mental and spiritual health in a way that we haven't and getting back to like, um, I don't even know if it's getting back to, but like a new day of God, how can you be the one who helps guide us instead of all this? Yeah. Stresses and I think world. you bring up another good point, And that is as, as people, whether you're a pastor ministering to other people or you're a small group leader or you're whatever, you need, don't be flippant about it. Yeah. Like sometimes us pastors can go, oh, we have the answers for everything. Mm. Like you need training. Yeah. Talk to professionals. Hey, how should I speak to people or where can I send people? Uh, and um, yeah, I, I do think that that is increasingly important right now. Yeah. Okay. Let's end with this, Brian, because one thing that I was left with when we left our lunch with this this couple was just simply like, I want to be them in the future. And I, I think this is another call, like even as we're thinking about all the stress we're under, you're so good, Brian, at telling people to think about, okay, what kind of person do you want to be? Who yeah. do you want to be? Make decisions uh, with intentionality now so that 20 years from now, 25 years from now, you're saying, I am closer to the person that I want to be. Mm-hmm. And um, let some of these, I think, faithful Christians who've really run the race be the ones that inspire us and lead us. Um, I think if we can do that, yep. then that will help with some of this other stuff. All right. Well, we will be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian From, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.